the reason I had kept feeling broken over and over throughout my life so many ways is because I was never healing this one piece. In this episode, we will talk about experiencing sexual abuse, numbing everything in your life, and being really good at keeping secrets. We'll dive right into Cassandra's LaCare's courageous story, how she navigates through her self-shame, and now be able to tell her story with compassion. Be sure to listen in for all the details. Hello, my wonderful beasties. It's Tina, your host. Welcome to the Courageous Inner Beast, where the place to get charged up with courage by calling in your inner beast. Today, we have Cassandra LeClaire. Hi, Cassandra. Please introduce yourself. Hi, thanks for having me. My name is Cassandra LeClaire, and I am a clinical associate professor of communication studies. But basically what I do is I talk a lot about feelings and emotions and how we create relationships based on our previous experiences. Mm, that's awesome. Like as, even as a professor, you know, we we making um just, you know, professors and teachers, they give so much power and incitement. And it's just like, yes. And so it's, you know, it, so I know you're gonna ask me about my story and and why I'm a professor really is is part of my story. Um one of the things I say about why I chose communication studies is because I wanted to teach other people how to use their voice because I didn't know how to use my own. Mm -hmm. So what that really means for me is, um, you know, my, my story or where this is all like unfolded for me was when I was a child, I was sexually abused mm -hmm. and that is not something that I talked about. It's not experiences that I shared. And it's not even something that I went through and processed or thought about until yeah. much later in adulthood when some other traumas that I was having or some other things came up that kind of forced me to look back a little bit more and to really see how some of my coping mechanisms were a result of those childhood wounds that I'd never wanted to really address. Yeah. And do you know, so yeah, yeah, that's pretty much leading to the story that you want to mm -hmm. share of, of your courageous story. So I was curious too of um, when, I guess like when did you, when was it, when did it start happening? Mm -hmm. And then I guess, I guess I guess we'll just start from there first. Like when did okay. that start happening? Yeah. So I was um, sexually abused by a family friend is who it was, is by a male family friend. And my parents, we, I grew up in rural South Dakota, very, very small town. And my parents, they actually owned a bowling alley there called LeClaire Lanes. Yeah. And so LeClaire Lanes. Yes. So after school, um, my brother and sister and I would like, we would go to the bowling alley The it was a small town family business. So my parents were there a lot and it was, we had our own little playroom basically in the basement where the extra balls were kept and where people had like lockers. There was also a little picnic table for us and we had toys down there. And my sister and I used to roller skate like around the basement of the bowling alley. So it was very much like a space that I was used to and comfortable with. Yeah. There was also a back room where you did dishes and then the storeroom. And I'm telling you all this because me being in that space, it sounds weird now to think about like, oh, a kid was in a bowling alley all the time. But it was a much different environment. And so I was there quite often. And this individual, this man, he was somebody who he bowled. He was part of our small town. Everybody knew everyone. And it happened, started happening when I was six. 
And it continued over a period of years until I was 12 in various forms. And it happened in the basement of the bowling alley. And, you know, not just once, not just twice. And so for me, what that process was, is a safe space that I had in so many situations, you know, with my sister and being there, but then this one dark corner, like literally and figuratively this back dark storeroom that represented this kind of scary place. I didn't like to go anyway. And then also now this space of this trauma that I was enduring or thinking about or witnessing. And so the, the easiest thing for me to do was just to shut it all out. So, you know, anybody who's experienced an extensive amount of trauma, you know, it's hard for some people to understand sometimes how you, you just can be somewhere else. You know, you get to a point, especially if it's repeated where you can, you know, you're physically there, but it's almost like you are mentally not there and like, it's your brain's protection of yourself. Right. So part of what was going on too, with that is there was a complex situation in the sense that this man was somebody that my dad worked for. My dad had an additional job in addition to the bowling alley. So there were a lot of things, um, positions of power that this man had in terms of ways to keep me silent. You know, um, my dad also has a very strong temper. So even things like, you know, you know, your dad would kill me if he found out and then he'd go to jail. And then what would your family do? You know, or, you know, your dad wouldn't, you know, you're, you're already don't have enough money. What would happen if your dad didn't have a job? You know, those types of really damaging messages, especially to a child, especially from somebody who is threatening you. Yeah. And and that's. Yeah. And that was really what was honestly, even in therapy, even in after all these years, those that like psychological trauma that was coupled with it was so hard to break free from. Right. So this went on and, you know, he would say things like no one will ever love you and no one will ever want you, you know, all that classic abuse bullshit. And so like me again, as a child, I, what I knew to do was to just prove him wrong. I was like, I, I'm just going to know everybody is going to love me. Watch how much everybody's going to love me. I'm going to be good at everything. I'm going to make sure that this thing that you said is going to ruin my life is not going to matter at the same time when I don't know who to talk to about it. And again, this was a different time. I was, this is in the eighties, you know, the awareness, the level of information that people have about how trauma shows up even. So it was, Nobody was going to look at me being good in school, excelling in these other areas and think that I had had any traumatic experience. You know, I wasn't displaying any of these like classical signs that people would look for. Right. And so what happened, though, then is I just started doing all these things to make myself feel better. Right. And I would do things like I would create little rituals. I would go upstairs to the bowling alley. There was a little um, glass pumpkin all year round. It was always a glass pumpkin, but it was where we, you know, we sold candy and chips and all that stuff at the bowling alley where we had little Reese's miniature Reese's peanut butter cups. Yeah. And I would go up afterward and my body would just be so flooded with, you know, fight or flight. My mind had been all disassociated and I would just eat those one after one after one. And then I would, I remember I'd like crumple up the wrapping so small to try to like hide how many I had eaten and little things like this that I would do that 
over the course of the years just became like ritualistic. So that by the time I got to, you know, really in college and then adulthood where I started, you know, I was no longer in that situation, but I also had done some of these things for so long that I thought that they were just shameful behaviors that I had. Like I was no longer making this connection, you know, like I can now with my adult brain, oh, yeah. you were in this trauma and this is the response you had. Instead, I was just too busy shaming myself for the fact that I can binge eat, you know, to make myself feel better or whatever yeah. it is. Right. Yeah. So I really started to have some issues with my mental health when I was in college and through that space, because all of a sudden, you know, all these protective things that I was doing when I had trauma, now I was just doing, and I felt super fucked up, you know? And then I'm like, let me drink too much. Let me go have sex with inappropriate people. Let me numb out in all these other ways. So then I'm keeping this shame on me and my behavior because yeah. I still don't know how to address the fact that this happened. Yeah. And then it was like, you were escalating, like you were, so you were younger, you know, mm -hmm. eating all the candy, you know, it just mm -hmm. escalated to where you are mm -hmm. now as your adult. And yeah. so even if we, when you, so going back to when you were in the bowling alley, so any space in the bowling alley was just like fight or flight for you, or just in that particular area in the basement? It's, it's really just in the one room like even thinking about it now you know it's the space where immediately my kind of heart catches a little bit yeah and and I think it's because that was where that was okay. where everything happened you know and outside of the areas I would still get uncomfortable at times because you know again we would see him and he's a family friend and you're like oh give so-and-so a hug and you yeah. know all that kind of stuff yeah. but it was never it was never anything that was odd to anyone else in those, in that context. Right. Yeah. You know, and then I also just became really good at keeping secrets, you know, yeah. like, in, and even, like I said, I would take those wrappers, I'd ball them all up. And then I'd go over to the garbage and I'd make sure I put them underneath something else. And then I'd quickly fill back up the pumpkin. So nobody could tell that like I had eaten them because I didn't want to get in trouble. And also more that I didn't want anyone to know that that's what I was doing or to ask, you know, to question that behavior or what have you. Yeah. And I think those things established this pattern where then I would do something that I had shame about for my behavior, because it was so much easier for me to have shame about something I had done and to feel like I had control over that, or that I could be upset with that. than it was to really think about this other abusive situation that I didn't know what to do. I didn't know how to have, hold anybody accountable, how to have any control. And, and so again, you know, it all sounds logical now, but like at the time, it's like, you're just managing the best that you can. And then yeah. one day in adulthood, when I'm finally realizing <laughs> some of these things, right. I'm yeah. Like, oh shit. Okay. Yeah. This is where mm -hmm. some of this started, or this yeah. is why some of these acts, like even again about people pleasing, you know, yeah. um, I'm going to just make sure everybody else is okay. I'm not going to think about my needs because very early on it was established that I didn't have needs or boundaries. Yeah. So, you know, mm -hmm. and again, I knew as I was in college and, and learning through these things, I knew that there was a different way to do things. I was so interested in psychology and all of these different <laughs> things, yeah. but I still thought 
that because of my own behaviors and the ways that I was acting, mm-hmm. that it was me like, oh yeah, I was abused and that happened to me, but I'm still doing these things. So I instead can learn about it and teach other people, but I must just never get to feel that way for myself. You were saying how like um, shaming, like you decide to put that shame on you and not, mm-hmm. you know, having everyone else around you. And then, yeah, no, it makes sense of like, you know, you were told at six years old, that's like the pitiful age of like, you you remember a lot of things like your your development your brain development of like what shapes you started that early and the fact that you were told don't say anyone no one you will never be loved anymore you say to any you talk to anyone and just you know bashing you in that kind of, kind of sense like lodged like psychologically mm-hmm. like it makes sense of like the art of like people pleasing making sure that everyone around you because we grew, you grew up saying no, having no boundaries, saying that you're not right. you know, in love, and then you were ever like everyone else matters but you, right? And yeah. then that's where you know it's really easy then to do that and not even realize that you're doing it, right? It's really yeah. easy just to not even know that you have needs or that you should talk about these things or or feel any of these things, and it's so easy to go along with other people to for fear of them, you know, you don't want them to upset you or you don't want to have to, you know, navigate that disappointment or frustration, but also because when it comes down to it, I didn't think I was worthy to have those needs or those values. I was always then going to privilege other people's feelings over my own, you know, because of, again, some of the behaviors I was engaging in or some of the ways that I was having different negative, you know, coping mechanisms are wonderful because they protect us in the moments when we need them. Right. But then so often we hang on to them and they're not needed anymore. And so, especially when we have an event happen to us in childhood, it's hard for us to separate, you know, what is our personality and what, what is, are my quirks versus what are my trauma responses or what are the things I'm doing because I've conditioned myself that way, or my nervous system is in that pattern or whatever. Right. Yes. Wait, so then how did, so so you've kind of, not necessarily work on it, but like, I guess, became more aware of it during college, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And so when were you able to take necessary, like the first few steps once you, once you're in college or no. it but until. No, I shut year. that shit down. <laughs> I, um, you're like, you know, oh, okay, I see that. Uh, yeah. I don't want to do it right now. Yeah, it was like, a, I'm going to focus on, and we were having some other things happen in my family too when I was in college and other things. So it was always easy for me to just focus externally. And again, yeah. I've always been able, because again, I'm going to make everybody else okay. I've always been able to be a good listener and make other people really feel seen and heard. And, and so I just, gave myself to other people in that sense, you know, and, and let their problems be the thing that we talked about. So it's funny because a lot of people think that they're really close to me because they've told me a lot about themselves, but I don't necessarily always feel close to people because I wasn't the one who was sharing back. Right. But people, people don't realize that they're like, Oh, we're so close because they've like opened up this space. Right. Yeah. So I, it's kind of like you since you know, we haven't been, uh, me included too. So like, since like we didn't feel seen and heard, we're giving that space for other people. Yeah. If you wanted to make sure they are seen and heard. Yeah. So, and that, and, and that makes sense now too, because yeah, some people are like, oh yeah, you're really close. I was like, 
yeah, but I I don't feel close to them in the sense. Yeah. And you... it took me a long time to figure yeah. out what that was or to understand like, oh, okay, this is, this is why or mm-hmm. part of it. But so I, um, I know I, I was a professor. I had kids. I had a bunch of other situations happen to me and yeah. it wasn't until I was 38 that, um, my family was in a drunk driving accident. We were hit by a drunk driver and we were minor too. Um, yeah, I was in the passenger side. My boyfriend at the time was driving and my son was in the back seat. He was um, in middle school and it, I was minorly physically injured. And, but what happened was that moment, it's like that crash, everything, every wall, every defense, everything that I had built up and so yeah. carefully pushed away, just crashed along with my car. You know, it's like, my body was like, no we can't do this anymore. And like all these memories kept flooding back, like snippets of different things, feelings. And I think like part, like yeah, every part, every part. And I think some of that had to do with the fact that we were hit by a drunk driver. We were coming home. It was Easter Sunday. We were coming home from yeah. seeing a movie. And so here was this person, this man who came and did this to me with through no fault of my own i had no control over it and so i think that was really because i'd had other traumas i'd had other things happen but this was the one and that's why i think it's so important to like recognize you don't know where somebody's breaking point is going to be and you don't know why because you can't see all the other things that have stacked up to lead them to that point right so at that moment in time um after that crash i I basically just kind of fell apart. You know, I still had to work. I was still a mom, but outside of those things, I didn't feel like talking to anyone. I stopped going on social media and I really just knew that I had to look at this, these memories. I had to go back and kind of do some work around these things, or I wasn't sure how I was going to be okay. And yeah. I knew I had to be okay. Cause again, I had two kids I had to raise. Right. Yeah. So that's when I really started. I tried to find a trauma therapist. I had an extreme amount of difficulty and I had good insurance, still couldn't find one that was available. I would go sit at community mental health and wait for somebody to be available and they weren't a trauma therapist. It was a mess. So I'm saying that because I know the challenges that people can face when you finally want to take a step and then you feel like you can't or it's impossible, right? So um, luckily for me, I did have access to like the university library since I've been a professor. And so I just started reading everything I could on different trauma. And I'd had a lot of training and back in my background anyway, but I started reading about different types of things. And I started journaling um, about everything that I was, you know, coming up for me. I went to different, you know, types of therapy. I did Reiki. I learned to meditate. I saw a shaman, like basically anything and everything that I got some crystals, like, and I know I'm saying it jokingly, but like, I really was all in on all of these things because I was like, I am not okay. I am not okay. And I felt broken. And so what happened for me though, is I realized that the reason I had kept feeling broken over and over throughout my life, so many ways is because I was never healing this one piece. I was never looking at this one really core thing. So um, the cool part, I guess, for me, the thing I never thought would happen is after about a year, you know, I'd been journaling and all this stuff and I started reading my journals back. And again, I'm a research geek. I'm a professor. (laughs) So I um, 
I took out my highlighters and I started like coding my journals because I started yeah. to see all these themes and I was yeah. like, oh, okay. You people please, because you have no self-worth. You want yeah. external validation because you don't feel that for yourself. You know, it just started to see all these threads, right? Yeah. All these things that I had shamed myself for, for so long started to make sense in this different context of this trauma. Right. Yes. And so, um, I, knew that I couldn't be the only person who felt that way. And so I decided to share my experiences and that's how I wrote my book. And the chapters are those, are those themes. It's not a, this, some carefully laid out, you know, constructed masterpiece. It's this process of my healing, you know, and it's messy and it's cyclical and it talks about all these different things, but it was representative of how I got to this other place, you know, by really kind of swirling around all of it and recognizing my own patterns and having accountability for them, but then also recognizing where some of them started from and, and also working to understand ways that I could let go of them. And I could have different levels of emotional reactivity and recognizing those triggers and all of those things Whereas without the context of my trauma, I just thought that I was crazy sometimes, or I'm too emotional, or I'm like, why do I get so pissed off about this? Right. So instead, like really putting a name to it, like, oh no, this is hypervigilance. Oh no, this is, you know, really like trauma response activated, you know, like really being like, okay. And instead of being then sad, you know, of course there's periods of sadness and grief as you're going through this. But then I learned to find power in it because I'm like, oh, okay, I know now how, you know, where some of these things have shown up and I know what I'm capable of getting through and I know what I'm capable of doing. And so I am able to make new patterns and I am able to look at these things. And um, that's why on the cover of my book, it's um, Kintsuji Pottery. So it's pottery that when it's been broken, then it's put back together with gold, with the idea that we can be stronger yeah. than when we were before. Yeah. And I truly think that that's, that's how I look at it is that all these broken pieces were still coming to creep up at me in different ways. Right. Yeah. And that's, that's the thing about that. When we have trauma that we don't resolve, it does creep back up, but then yeah. it's in different forms or different shapes and it hurts us differently. So we can't always place where it came from. Right. Yeah. So I think it really was this space where that helped me heal so substantially to look back at that, even though it was the very thing I resisted for literally decades of my life. Yeah. And I mean, honestly, as you were talking, like I was tearing, like I was like, oh, I'm, like I'm tearing up. Cause I think it's also, it's, for me, I'm not ready for mine, but mm-hmm. I could definitely like resonate so much with you of things that you told right now. It's like, oh, that's why I'm people pleasing. Like, oh, this is why I'm putting myself in the back all the time. It's like the reason why. And then mentioning about the pottery, it's like, yeah, like when we're broken, we can rebuild ourselves with gold, like something that we're making more powerful and becoming powerful as ever. But it's just like, damn. Like just hearing your story, like I feel, I feel so much for you and just for anyone going through this, it's, I have no words because it's, it's, if you don't heal, it will, I don't know. I think when you were mentioning with that car crash and it's just like, 
that mm-hmm. was everything let go yeah you know and and it's you know just yeah. even when you said you're not ready yet like here's the deal I think I had a bunch of other things that happened you know like I had gotten you know I have lupus so I had this period with illness like you would think that that would have been traumatic I had this <laughs> divorce you would have think that would have been traumatic but I think it's like you know looking back at my life there were all these things that could have nudged me to it but I I wasn't ready you know and this is the yeah. thing like you can't force it either it's like I'm not here to tell anybody okay so yeah. immediately go back to it and let's, yeah. let's dig in and do it you know because that's not healthy either right like you have to be able to, to really feel that this is a safe space for you to look at things and, you know, not like it's going to be comfortable. You're never going to like, think it's all great. Right. (laughs) But also, you know, that I think I, I, it took that moment for me to get to that place. It took me getting that, you know, my nervous system being that out of whack again and everything, all of that to, for me to really, you know, have this feeling like, no, I have to do this. I have to go in and do this. And, you know, I think that the, the biggest thing for me is that again, all of it sounds so easy when you're going through it, or you make all these connections and hindsight, you know, and you're like, obviously, or this is clearly what happened. Yeah. You know, like, "Mm, Like, (laughs) it takes a long time to get there. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, No, it's, no, I, yeah, like, as you're saying right now, it sounds like even, it sounds easy to like, just think, thinking about it, but really, like you said, no, that mm-hmm. does takes, it takes, and I also mentioned too, like, yeah, like you said, like you had lupus and other things too, but we don't know when that happens. We just, yeah, it just, it just happens. And then that's when you're, cause I know I've worked through it through therapy, but I think like publicly, yeah, that's where I'm like, maybe not yet. Cause I don't know. Yeah. Like, Maybe because I haven't really, I've, I've dug deep into it with therapy, but for sure, maybe there are some other parts I haven't dealt with publicly. I was like, okay, yeah, not well, really. And then, but then also, like, I mean, like, it also makes sense what you said about like, you're not telling anyone, like, okay, after my talk, you're down, like, you're up for it. We're like, Right. Well, and it's like, so to be fully honest with you too. So I wrote this book thinking about like these other people, like other people who feel this way. Right. Yeah. And these like other people out here, (laughs) other people, right. Like these fictitious people in my mind. Right. Yes. Failing to realize that like people I knew in my life would also probably read this book until I'm at the grocery store one day and somebody's like, oh, I read your book. And I was like, oh, fuck. Because (laughs) I was like, happy and I was like excited but then I was like oh my god that means they know like all these things about me yes you know and so it was this moment that should have been like obvious like why didn't you think about that beforehand but again I was just thinking about and and it ends and it's good but it's exactly what you're saying it's like okay now this is a different level of readiness of like where am I going to take this or what do I want to do with this yes and so that's where um the first time I spoke publicly about it my book had come out came out in November and then that February I gave a TEDx talk where I talked about it and I hadn't at that time before my book came out I hadn't told a lot of people my close circle of friends knew yeah. my family of course but I hadn't you know like yeah it's not exactly something you like announce on Facebook or whatever <laughs> right it's like hey I mean, everyone yeah, not right. want to know my story you want to know my yeah. story so. so it was weird for me then 
again, because I had been so prepared to like, even with the TEDx talk, been so prepared for it to be on the internet and for thinking about that, but then not prepared for the random person I know at the grocery store. (laughs) Yeah. Or even like people in in your close, like close, like in your circle, you know, and then Mm -hmm. eventually someone, like you said, someone is, Hey, I read your book. I watched your TED talk, uh, your TED talk. It's like, Oh, how do I do this now? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Or, or even like somebody at work recently just told me they, they're like, I started to watch your Ted talk, but then I didn't know if I should, cause I work with you and I didn't know if I should know this stuff. So it's interesting, right? Then once you start putting more out there, the ways that people will take different, you know, um, meanings from it or different responses from it. And I think, you know, that's why part of why sharing your story gets scary for people is because, you know, then you're no longer the only owner of it, right? And you can't control the narrative or what other people say about it or the responses. And unfortunately, especially with sexual abuse, people, it makes people really uncomfortable to even hear about it, right? So I, the number of times where I felt like I shouldn't say something because it's going to upset somebody else like, I can't even tell you. And then sometimes there's part of me that gets mad because it's like, oh, I'm sorry that my abuse is so sad to you that we can't talk about it, Yeah, you know, but then like also trying to understand why. But so it's, I think it can be really challenging because I know a lot of survivors do finally get to this place where they want to open up, but it's such a taboo topic yet. So I really applaud you for letting me come on and just be this open about sharing the story and for giving me space for this conversation with you. No. I, I'm also like taking in your compliments. You know, I was like, <laughs> I don't know. I, mean, I think I was, I was feeling flattered and I was like awkward because I was like, I really, and and so I think I'm also kind of struggling with that too. Is I think this is why, why I'm giving the space for when women all around to just share their story, no matter how uncomfortable it is, you know, and also leaving taking in like how you call it um just say whatever you want unfiltered uncensored regardless of the taboo because why that's all the question is and so I appreciate you just fully and honestly sharing your story as it is because I felt it with my own experience too like I felt so it felt it is close to my heart of your story and just knowing that we're here for all women, for all people who are experiencing this too. Mm-hmm. And just, mm-hmm. yeah. It's, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you were able to be here and just sharing your story as it is. So I also don't have any words because I'm just like emotional right now too, in a sense. I know. it's yeah. Well, it's hard, right? Because yeah. you never know where, you never know, And that's one of the reasons why I had to share my story or write my book is because you just, you never know what threads are going to connect with somebody. And this is why it is so important to have so many different people share their stories because what resonates with one person isn't going to resonate with somebody else. And we all need to be able to find, you know, different versions of stories that can help us, you know, piece all this together too. Yeah, no, it definitely, like you said, it will inspire, impact someone, your story, wherever it is, and just create that hope in that person that I can do something about this. I can take action. I don't have to sit in this and just, I'm not alone. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And so thank you. Thank you, Cassandra, for just sharing your story. And I was curious, was like, what is your one takeaway that would you like to share with our audience? Well, you just said it. So I'll say it again, <laughs> is that you're not alone. That is my one takeaway I always give. I think it's so easy when we're, you know, we get, we ruminate or we think back to things and we, we have a tendency to feel like nobody can understand us or, or we're fearful that somebody is going to think differently about us if we share certain things. So just really recognizing that even if somebody hasn't had your exact same experience, the feelings that are associated with that experience or some of the aftermath of it, there are people in different ways who can understand that. So really, I think it's just really important because we stay silent because we think we're the only ones and in reality, there are so many people who um, have stories, you know, that are very similar to mine, very similar to yours. And so we can all kind of learn and grow from each other. Yes. We can definitely, yeah, we're not alone and we're, we're a community. And then, like you said, everyone has similar stories and it's not all the same. And, but thank you for just sharing that wisdom and takeaway. I believe our listeners would definitely feel feel so weird saying deep with it so <laughs> I'm just like but like I mean like I'm feeling like it's I already know like after I record I probably have to sit with it a little bit because it's like if of course like it resonates and also it's powerful it's powerful to just hear your story and knowing that this story can resonate and inspire other people all whoever is listening and so thank you thank you so much for Cassandra for just sharing your story today really really thank appreciate you for having it. me I'm really glad that we got to talk yes thank you thank you everyone for listening in and just being here with us if you enjoyed our conversation please review wherever you're listening and look out for new episodes every Tuesday on the courageous inner beast thank you for listening in if you enjoy our conversation and would like to know more about Cassandra LeClaire, please look at the show notes for more information and for the links. <laughs>